Chapter 10, Part 1 of More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Chapter 10 Part 1. On the Mount. 1870. A happy year. Madame Guyon. What sweetens the cup of earthly trials and the cup of earthly joy? Death of Mrs. Julia B. Cady. Her usefulness. Sickness and death of other friends. My cup runneth over. Letters. More love to thee, O Christ. In every earnest life, there usually comes a time when it reaches its highest point, whether of power or of enjoyment, a time when it is in the bright, consummate flower. The year 1870 formed such a period in the life of Mrs. Prentice. None that went before or that followed after equaled it, as a whole, in rich, varied and happy experiences. It was full of the genial, loving spirit which inspired the little Susie books and stepping heavenward. Full, too, of the playful humour which runs through Fred and Maria and me, and full, also, of the intense, overflowing delight in her God and Saviour that breathes in the golden hours. From its opening to its close she was, to borrow an expression from her Richmond journal, one great long sunbeam. Everywhere, in her home, with her friends, by sick and dying beds, in the house of mourning, in the crowded street, or among her flowers at Dorset, she seemed to be attired with constant brightness. Of course, there were not wanting hours of sadness and heart-sinking, nor was her consciousness of sin or her longing to be freed from it, perhaps ever keener and more profound. But still the main current of her existence flowed on, untroubled, to the music of its own loving, grateful and adoring thoughts. Often she would say that God was too good to her, that she was satisfied and had nothing more to ask of life. Her cup of domestic bliss ran over, and as to her religious joy, it was at times too much for her frail body and she begged that it might be transferred to other souls. Her letters give a vivid picture of her state of mind during this memorable year, and yet only a picture. The sweet reality was beyond the power of words. In the early part of this year, the correspondence of Madame Guyon and Fenelon fell into her hands and was eagerly read by her. The perusal of this correspondence led, somewhat later, to a careful study of the select works, autobiography and spiritual letters of Madame Guyon, thus forming an important incident in her religious history. Heretofore she had known Madame Guyon chiefly through the life by Professor Upham and the little treatise entitled A Short and Very Easy Method of Prayer, and both seem rather to have repelled her. In 1867, she wrote to a friend, There is a book I would be glad to have you read, and which I think you would wish to own. 
Thoughts on Personal Religion by Goulburn. I never read a modern religious book that had in it so much that really edified me. I take for granted you have Thomas a Kempis. On that and on Fenelon I have feasted for years every day. I like strengthening food and whatever deals a blow at this monster self. Madame Gouillon I do not understand. But now she began to feel, as so many earnest seekers after holiness had felt before her, the strong attraction of this remarkable woman. While never becoming to her what Fenelon was, Madame Guillon, for several years, exerted a decided influence upon her views of the Christian life. Nor is there reason to think that this influence was not, on the whole, salutary. Notwithstanding her grave errors and the extravagances which marred her career, Madame Guillon was no doubt one of the holiest, as she was certainly one of the most gifted women of her own or any other age. To Mrs. J. Elliot Condict, New York, January the 2nd, 1870. It has been a real disappointment not to see you. How quickly we learn to lean on earthly things. I am afraid I prize Christian fellowship too much and that I am behaving in a miserly way about all divine gifts, shutting myself up here in this room, which often seems like the gate of heaven, and luxuriating in it, instead of going about preaching the glad tidings to other souls. Yet work for Christ, when he gives it, is sweet too, and if answering your note is the little tiny bit he offers me at this moment, how glad I am. Though I am not, just now, in the furnace as you are, there is no knowing how soon I shall be, and I remember well enough how the furnace feels, to have deep sympathy with you in your trials. Sympathy, but not regret. I can't make myself be very sorry for Christ's disciples when he takes them in hand. He does it so tenderly, so wisely, so lovingly, and it can hardly be true, can it, that he is just as near and dear to me when my cup is as full of earthly blessings as it can hold, as he is to you whose cup he is emptying. I have always thought they knew and loved him best, who knew him in his character of chastiser, but perhaps one never loses the memory of his revelations of himself in that form, and perhaps that tender memory saddens and hallows the day of prosperity. At any rate, you and I seem to be in full sympathy with each other. Your empty cup isn't empty, and my full one would be bitter if love to Christ did not sweeten it. It matters very little on what paths we are walking, since we find him in every one. How ashamed we shall be when we get to heaven of our talk about our trials here. Why don't we sing songs instead? We know how, for he has put the songs into our mouths. I think I know something about the land of Beulah, but I don't quite live in it yet. And yet what is this joy if it isn't beatitude, if it is not a foretaste of that which is to come? It isn't joy in what he has done for me, a sinner, but adoring joy for what he is, though I do not begin to know what he is. It will take an eternity to learn that lesson. Do you really mean that Miss Kay is going to pray for me? How delightful! I am greedy for prayer. Nobody is rich enough to give me anything I so long for, 
Indeed, when my husband begged me to tell him what I wanted at Christmas, I couldn't think of a thing. But oh, what unutterable longing I have for more of Christ. Why should we not speak freely to each other of him? Don't apologise for it again. The wonder is that we have the heart to speak of anything else. Sometimes I am almost frightened at the expressions of love I pour out upon him and wonder if I am really in earnest, if I really mean all I say. Is it even so with you? It is not foolish, is it? Perhaps he likes to hear our poor stammerings when we cannot get our emotions and our thoughts into words. To Miss E. A. Warner, New York, January the 7th. 1870. I find letters more and more unsatisfactory. How little I know of your real life, how little you know of mine. So much is going on all the time that I should run and tell you about if you lived here, but which it would take too long to write. I have very precious Christian friends within six months who take, or rather to whom I give, more time than I could or would spare for any ordinary friendship. One of them has spent four hours in my room with me at a time, and we had wonderful communings together. Then two dear friends have died. One of the two, of whom you have heard me speak, was the most useful woman in our church. My husband and I both wept over her death. The other directed in dying that a copy of Stepping Heavenward should be given to each of her Sunday scholars. A lifelong fear of death was taken away, and she declared it pleasanter and easier to die than to live. Her last words, five minutes before she drew her last gentle breath, came with the upward dying look. Wonderful love! You cannot think how sweet it is to be a pastor's wife, to feel the right to sympathise with those who mourn, to fly to them at once and join them in their prayers and tears. It would be pleasant to spend one's whole time among sufferers and to keep testifying to them what Christ can and will become to them if they will only let him. No, I never dialed or was transcendental. I don't think knowledge will come to us by intuition in heaven, though knowledge enough to get started there will, but I don't much care how it will be. I know we shall learn Christ there. I have read lately Professor Phelps on the solitude of Christ. It is a suggestive little book, which I like much. Have you ever read The Life of Mrs. Hawkes? It is interesting because she records so many of Cecil's wonderful remarks, such, e.g., as these. A humble, kind silence often utters much. Tomorrow you and I shall walk together in a garden when I hope to talk with you about everything but sadness. I am going to ask a favour of you, though I hate to put you to the trouble. In writing a telegram in great haste and sorrow, I accidentally used and cut into the lines you copied for me, Sabbath hymn in sickness. It was a real loss, and if you ever feel a little stronger than usual, Will you make me another copy? I so often want to comfort sick persons with it. I have half promised to write a serial for a magazine, the organ of the Young Men's Christian Association, though I know nothing of young men, 
and hate to write serials. I wish I could hide in some hole. I get bright letters from A, who is having a very nice time. I write her every day, wretched letters, which she thinks delightful, fortunately. We have a quiet time this winter, but such nice things can't last, and I am afraid of this world anyhow. I know you pray for me, as I do for you and Miss L every day. I have a thousand things to say that I shall have to put off till I see you. Goodbye, dearie. To Mrs. Condict, Sunday, March the 6th, 1870. I have had some really sweet days, shut up with my dear little boy. He is better, and I am comparatively at leisure again, and so happy in meditating on the character of my Saviour, and in the sense of his nearness, that I ache, and have had to beg him to give me no more, but to carry this joy to you and to Miss Kay, and to two friends who, languishing on dying beds, need it so much. If I could shed tears, I should not have to tell you this, and indeed it is nothing new, but one must have vent in some way, and this reminds me to explain to you why to three dear Christian friends I now and then send verses. They are my tears of joy or sorrow, and when I feel most deeply, it is a relief to versify and a pleasure to open my heart to those who feel as I do. I have been in print ever since I was sixteen years old, and admiration is an old story. I care very little for it, but I do crave and value sympathy with those who love Christ. And it is such a new thing to open my heart thus. I have written any number of verses that no human being has ever seen, because they came from the very bottom of my heart. I wish I could put into words all the blessed thoughts I had last week about God's dear will. It was a week of such sweet content with the work he gave me to do. Naturally, I hate nursing, and losing the air makes me feel unwell. But what can't God do with us? I love dearly to have a master. I fancy that those who have strong wills are the ones who enjoy God's sovereignty most. I wonder if you realise what a very happy creature I am and how much too good God is to me. I don't see how he can heap such mercies on a poor sinner, but that only shows how little I know him. But then I am learning to know him and shall go on doing it for ever and ever, and so will you. I am not sure that it is best for us, once safe and secure on the rock of ages, to ask ourselves too closely what this and that experience may signify, is it not better to be thinking of the rock, not of the feet that stand upon it? It seems to me that we ought to be unconscious of ourselves and that the nearer we get to Christ, the more we shall be taken up with him. We shall be like a sick man who, after he gets well, forgets all the old symptoms he used to think so much of and stops feeling his pulse and just enjoys his health only pointing out his position to all who are diseased. You will see that this is in answer to a portion of your letter, in which you say Miss Kay interprets to you certain experiences. If I am wrong, I am willing to be set right. Perhaps I have not said clearly what I meant to say. I certainly mean no criticism on you or her, 
but am only thinking aloud and querying. To Miss E. A. Warner, New York, March the 27th, 1870. You ask if I revel in the Pilgrim's Progress. Yes, I do. I think it an amazing book. It seems to me almost as much an inspiration as the Bible itself. I'm glad you like that hymn. I write in verse whenever I am deeply stirred, because, though as full of tears as other people, I cannot shed them. But I never showed any of those verses to anyone, not even my husband, till this winter. But if I were more with you, no doubt I should venture to let you run over some of them, at least those my dear husband has seen and likes. I have felt about hymns, just as you say you do, as if I loved them more than the Bible. But I have got over that. I prayed myself out of it, not loving hymns the less, but the Bible more. I wonder if you sing. I can't remember. If you do, I will send you, sometime, a hymn to sing for my sake, called More Love to Thee, O Christ. Only to think, our silver wedding comes next month, and A and the Smiths away. I have been interrupted by callers and must have been in the parlour several hours. You can't think what a sweet, peaceful winter this has been, nor how good the children are. My cup has just run over, and at times I am too happy to be comfortable, if you know what that means. Not having a strong body, I suppose you do. Mrs. B has been in a very critical state of late, but she is rallying, and I may, perhaps, have the privilege of seeing her again. I have had some precious times with her in her sick room. Last Friday, a week ago, she prayed with me in the sweetest temper of mind, and came with me when I took leave to the head of the stairs, full of love and smiles. To a young friend, April the 5th, 1870. I wish that hymn for the sick room were mine, but it is not. I will enclose one that is, which my dear husband has kindly had printed. Perhaps you will like to sing it to the tune of Nearer My God to Thee. There is not much in it, but you can put everything into it as you make it your prayer. I can't help feeling that every soul I meet, of whom I can ask, What think you of Christ? and get the glad answer, He is the chiefest among ten thousand the one altogether lovely, is a blessing as well as a comfort to mine, and whenever you can and do say it, you will become more dear to me. Your God and Saviour won you as an easy victory, but he had to fight for me. It seems to me now that he ought to have all there is of me, which to be sure isn't much, and I hope he is taking it. His ways with me have been perfectly beautiful, and infinite in long-suffering and patience. April the 11th. Your note has reawakened a question I have often had occasion to ask myself before. Why do my friends speak of my letters as giving more pleasure or profit than anything that goes to them from me in print? Is human nature so selfish? Must everybody have everything to himself? It might seem so at first blush, but I think there are two sides to this question. May it not be possible that God sends a message directly from one heart to another, as he does not to the many? Does he not speak through the living voice, 
and the pen that is that voice, as he does not do in the less unconstrained form of print? At any rate, I love to believe that he directs every word and look and tone. Inspires, rather, I should say. I should like you to offer a special prayer for us on Saturday. That day completes 25 years of married life to us. And though it has its shades as well as its lights, I do not think I can do better for you than ask that you may have such years. For who the backward scene hath scanned, but bless the Father's guiding hand? I can more truly thank him for his chastisements than for his worldly indulgences. The latter urge from, the former drive to him. I am saying a great thing in a feeble way, and you may multiply it by ten thousand, and it will still be weak. The hymn, More Love to Thee, O Christ, belongs, probably, as far back as the year 1856. Like most of her hymns, it is simply a prayer put into the form of verse. She wrote it so hastily that the last stanza was left incomplete, one line having been added in pencil when it was printed. She did not show it, not even to her husband, until many years after it was written, and she had wondered not a little that, when published, it met with so much favour. End of chapter 10, part 1